Once again, people in Mississippi are discussing Medicaid expansion. There are those who say that Mississippi has some of the worst health outcomes in America and is one of the few states not to take the federal subsidies to expand Medicaid. Others point out that actually Medicaid has been expanding and that actually many of the things we don't like about healthcare in Mississippi are caused by Medicaid itself. Now, the debate about Medicaid expansion is fundamentally a case of debating the insurance model. What to do when people can't afford private insurance? But joining me today is someone who's come up with a rather clever alternative. Instead of an insurance-based healthcare system, the brilliant Florida physician, Dr. Lee Gross, has come up with the idea of using a completely different funding model altogether. Dr. Gross, thank you for coming to Mississippi. Thank you. Thank you. Now, you are someone who's actually practicing medicine. You, you provide healthcare often to people who wouldn't otherwise be able to afford it. Tell us what's different and unique about your approach. So I'm a family physician in Southwest Florida, uh, and I opened up a traditional family medicine practice about 20 years ago. And in that practice, we took all insurances, we took Medicare, we took Medicaid, and we were effectively on the hamster wheel where we were trying to fight with the government to, to provide services, the rules would constantly be changing, and it became sort of a bureaucratic mess for us to actually provide the patient care that we were, that we were performing. Uh, and eventually, the name, so the name of my practice is Epiphany Health, which is a rather strange name for healthcare company. You had an epiphany. For sure. But we did have an epiphany. <laughs> and our epiphany was, while we continued to fight to provide these services, the costs kept going up for our practice, the costs kept going up for the insurance, and we had a small business owner that came up to us and said, why don't we just hire you to take care of our employees directly? Why are we paying some middle person to then pay you? Because I see what they pay you, and, and, and it, does, it just doesn't make sense. So you already provide the care to all my employees, why don't I just contract with you? And so our epiphany was, why are we insuring primary care? You don't use your car insurance to insure gasoline, you don't use your car insurance to replace the wipers or rotate the tires, but yet we're using an insurance model for every basic touch of human health care, uh, which at the primary care level is about 85% of care delivery. So if you had to file an insurance claim every time you wanted to fill up your gas tank, the insurance company would tell you when, when you can fill it up, what station you have to use. You can't take this trip today. You already took a trip last week. It, it makes no sense. So what we did was we created a subscription-based primary care service. So right now that subscription costs $80 a month for an adult and as low as $15 a month for a child. After that, we don't charge anything for any of the health care services that we deliver. So you pay this $80 a month affordable subscription. How many visits to the doctor does that get you? We set it at 25 per year, which is every other week, basically for an entire year. Nobody likes us that much. Uh, we also provide unlimited telemedicine visits for that, so we don't charge any insurance company for any services that we provide once you pay the membership. There's no office charges. Whatever we can do within our offices included at, at no charge. How do you then get the services that you need to buy in as a physician? So we have a standard, a standard practice that we provide, so all of our standard services, EKGs, halter monitors, any in-office procedures, joint injections, cortisone shots, uh, strep tests, urinalysis, that's all are included. But sometimes there are services that we can't provide within our office that we need to reach out and provide affordable services otherwise, which is good because I happen to live in an area where we have lots of uh, independent competition in imaging services and laboratory services. So I reached out to one of our local laboratory providers and I said, hey, if I collected the money up front when I gave the patient the order and you just charged me, the, I collected that money up, I knew exactly what it cost, 
you didn't have to go after the patient, try to figure out the coding, go after their insurance company. What did you sell me the lab for? Well, it turns out, if you talk to the lab and ask them what's the most expensive thing they do, they would say the cost of human labor associated with interacting with the health insurance money to collect their money. Really? So the, the process of reconciling the claims between the provider and the insurance company are uh, a uh, uh, huge cost to them? Yeah. So we, they gave us 95% discounts. Uh, so blood work that would typically cost thousands of dollars costs us tens of dollars. Because you're paying them cash up front? Because we're paying cash up front. Wow. We're collecting the money up front. There's no coding. It doesn't matter why we're ordering it. We don't have to reconcile anything. Just that we said that it's necessary. We did the same thing with an imaging center and said, if you have an MRI slot that's not being used, and you own your MRI machine and, you, and it's staffed, what would you sell us an unused slot for if we could pay you at the time of service for that, for that MRI? So we're seeing MRIs for $225 per MRI. Uh, and it turns out that now after a decade of per, uh, performing these services, the price that we were paying for labs and MRIs 12 years ago is exactly the same as the price we're paying for MRIs and labs over a decade later. We are not seeing this massive skyrocketing cost of, of healthcare. Now you talk about the, the friction between the insurance company and the provider. Now we've seen an extreme version of this here in Mississippi. It's not just dealing with individual cases. It, things got so bad between the largest insurer in the state and the largest provider that for a while they weren't cooperating at all. And a consequence of that, there were people needing clinical care in Mississippi who couldn't get it or had to go out of state. Right. So your problem would overcome that. You wouldn't have this grandstanding between the sort of corporatist healthcare providers. Yeah, so what that was was basically a negotiation tactic probably between a large insurer and the hospital trying to negotiate over, over a contract over yeah. prices. Uh, and I would tell you that having personally been in that situation, essentially the, the doctors become sort of the, the, the pawns in that, in that battle, so do the patients. Because what will happen is the, the hospital will, will drop an insurer and the insurance company will reach out to us and say, well, you're no longer a network with an in-network hospital, therefore you are no longer on our panel and we're going to take away all the patients. And so the doctors have to start fighting and the patients have to start fighting and it's a mess. In our situation, if you lose your job, if you lose your coverage, if you lose whatever, you don't lose access to your basic care. So then the question becomes, okay, well, there's only so much you can do at primary care. Uh, some stuff actually has to be done uh, outside of that. And so I'm not anti-insurance. I'm, I'm anti-insurance if you're using it wrong. There are some things you have to insure when you've got a car, but as you point out, you you know you insure for accidents for the unforeseen, but not for the planable and predictable. Right. I want my insurance to cover with my when my house burns now down, but not when I want to blow my alarm. Here's the thought: If you're going to use public money to help people on twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, you know, your family, you live in a rural part of Mississippi, you've got a rural hospital that faces closure, would it not make sense to use that? public subsidy to give people a voucher in effect so that every month they can spend $80 buying a subscription to a physician rather than actually subsidizing Medicaid. Right. So yes, I do believe to some degree that there is a role for government subsidies of uh, you know, the, truly the social safety net. You know, I think you've probably had this conversation on numerous occasions where you expand the social safety net beyond a true safety net, and now it becomes sort of the primary care uh, giver, but you don't fix the broken system that is Medicaid, then you're essentially just loading more patients onto the Titanic. Uh, you are actually squeezing the truly needy patients uh, out of the system because there's nowhere, you're not adding more places for them to go. Uh, so a program like ours 
I see Medicaid patients in my program. They can afford it. They can afford what I do. They can afford a cell phone. They can afford to have their hair done. They can afford to come to my practice and get most of their routine care services. I will also say that many of the practices that do what I do also distribute wholesale cost medications. So many of your blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol can be managed at pennies a pill uh, when you dispense them directly to the patient at wholesale cost without the retail markup on those things. So how popular has this been in Florida? Has that taken off? You, you started this, well, you presumably have a lot of patients. And we were one of a handful of practices uh, in the country that started up a little over a decade ago. Now there are over 2,000 practices in all 50 states. It's often noted that Americans pay more for healthcare um, for similar results to other advanced industrial countries. And often people point out that this is because of this uh, mechanism that almost is guaranteed to inflate costs because it's it's not really the market. It's a, a, a legal fight between the provider and the insurer. Do you think that if your model spread, we would see Americans get better bang for their buck in terms of their health dollars? I do. Yeah, because what you what you need in order for increased cost or to decrease costs is you need competition mm -hmm. uh, and you need competition on price and quality as determined by the user of those services. Mm -hmm. So. As a hospital, uh, who's my customer? Is my customer the major insurance company? Is my customer the government? Is my customer the patient? Um, well, usually it's the one paying, giving you the money. That's, that's your customer. That's who you have to make happy. So when you're satisfying the government, then that means you're having entire departments of people that are responsible for data collection to report to make sure you're meeting standard quality metrics that are determined arbitrarily by some government bureaucracy. The patient's an optical. The patient is not part of the equation. Uh, these are moving targets because there has to be sort of a net zero sum uh, for you know these incentive programs so not everybody can win. Uh, so if everybody wins then the rules change next time so that somebody has to lose. Uh, but in a situation where you have true market forces, true competition between, uh, between providers, uh, then you start to see the quality increase and, and the price coming down. Now we see this innovation, potentially transformative innovation in providing primary care in the free state of Florida. And you don't have to, you, you just have to say that to kind of realize why it's happening in, in Florida because you've got a public policy that leans very heavily in favor of allowing innovation. What is it that other states could do like Mississippi to make sure that we have a Dr. Gross in, in pretty much every town um, in Mississippi? So Mississippi fortunately did already pass protection of direct primary care, which is what my practice model has become to be known as direct primary care. Uh, but the reason I'm able to get such amazing prices on the imaging is we don't have certificate of need laws. We don't have competitor vetoes. So I have nine different independent imaging centers that I can choose from. And so if I go to imaging center A and I say, give me a, can you give me a, a cash price on an MRI? And they say, well, it's $250. And then I go to hospital B and they say, well, an MRI is $1,000. At least I have a, a transparent price. Now I'm going to go to the patient and say, do you want to pay $1,000 or $250? And so the patient will choose usually to go to the $250. That forces that hospital then to say, well, we'll give you a cash price, and they bring their prices down as well. So these so-called certificate of needles that you refer to just for the benefit of people who don't know them, they're, they're restrictions brought in a generation ago, um, and they prevent suppliers expanding certain kinds of health provision. You can only, in effect... Um, add to the supply base and, and serve more customers uh, with permission. With permission from your competitor. From your 
permission from your competitor. It would be a bit like um, requiring Pizza Hut to approve every time Papa John's wants to open a new pizza. It's absurd. So you've got these certificate of need laws in place in Mississippi, and what you're saying is they make they undermine the business model. They they prevent doctors in Mississippi doing what you do so successfully in Florida. They undermine the resources that we have to actually bring down the cost of care. Uh, so it, it eliminates the competition on the surf side. So again, if, if if I'm not allowed to put up an MRI machine without the permission of, of the hospital down the street, then you're now allowing a, a larger expansion of, a, of the monopoly. And so if that need existed, then the hospital would put an MRI machine and charge a thousand dollars in every right across the, the way. So actually, if you want to help rural Mississippians, people on low income in Mississippi, people on you know twenty five, thirty thousand dollars a year. Don't focus on the issue of whether or not to expand Medicaid. Remove some of these certificate of needles, and that would allow subscription-based primary care. Um, the rural settings are probably going to be a, a little bit different because I think, again, the direct primary care is going to work out there. They're going to be able to afford the basic services. Uh, I don't think there are tons of, of free market investors that are clamoring to put an MRI center out in an yeah. underserved community. Again, these are these are are business people that, are, that have to invest millions and millions of dollars to put these up. So they're not going to do it unless there's financially it makes it makes sense to them. So what we did in Florida for our practice is we work with a rural hospital in, in uh, DeSoto County, Florida. It's the second poorest county in the state of Florida. Uh, and so the hospital, it's a 49-bed rural hospital, and they said if any of our employees in our employee health plan want to see you as their primary care doctor, we will pay for it for them. And the hospital had a self-funded employee health plan already. And what they did was they restructured their entire employee health plan around our direct primary care practice. And they said, we're going to relieve the bureaucracy on that practice. And anything that that doctor's practice orders is automatically covered by our health plan uh, if it's done at our hospital. So free MRIs, free blood work, free surgeries, free hospital admissions, as long as it's done here. And as long as Dr. Gross and his practice say that it's necessary. They did not hire teams of people to oversee us. They said, we're going to go ahead and trust the highest trained person in this equation and not hire lesser trained people to super, to, to oversee their judgment. Um, and so maybe we might order a test that they might deem unnecessary, but the costs of, of eliminating bureaucracy allowed us to practice better. So we're four years into that relationship, and we saved that hospital 55% on their employee health plan costs. Um, we've eliminated co-pays and deductibles for their employees to get access to care. So we've expanded access, we've lowered costs, and if you look at a hospital at, at their operating costs, you know, number one line item cost in the hospital is going to be the actual employees, but the employee health plan is probably in the top three. So if we can cut one of their top line item costs by over 50% and maintain that for four years, um, we have drastically increased the amount of money that that, that hospital gets. The other thing that we've done with, with this particular hospital is we've created price transparent cash bundled surgeries uh, that are available to the uninsured across the state of Florida. Uh, and we've also used those prices and reached out to patients with health sharing ministries and self-funded employers. So we're now actually seeing this tiny little rural hospital become a destination for free market healthcare surgical procedures. So while the hospital historically is used to seeing people leave the community to get care, we've structured so that everyone that works in healthcare now gets their healthcare at this facility. We've stopped the outflow, and now we've created medical tourism for routine service into this. So we're doing colonoscopies 
knee replacements wow. and hip replacements. So instead of a rural hospital becoming a problem that needed to be supported, it's actually it's become, become a hub. It's become a center of excellence and yeah. a hub. So it went from a no-star CMS rating to a five-star CMS rating. Um, one final question. What happens to a patient who's got a pre-existing condition that they're maybe born with or you know, asthma, for example? What, what would they do? On the direct primary care side, the, the practices don't exclude or charge more for pre-existing conditions. A patient is a patient, and in our experience, actually, the ones that have more needs are more likely to sign up and see the value of it, so they're more likely to maintain that relationship. Honestly, somebody that's completely healthy and hasn't seen a doctor in 10 years probably doesn't see immense value in signing up a monthly prescription fee. You know, if I never watched movies, why would I sign up for Netflix? If I liked movies a lot, I'm more inclined to sign up for that subscription and get the value in it uh, and appreciate that, that relationship. Do you get some people who perhaps have never spent money on healthcare, they fall ill and they take out a subscription right away and, and, and do you welcome them? Absolutely. You know, that's not an uncommon scenario. Well, Dr. Gross, it is wonderful having you here in Mississippi. I think what you are doing is inspirational, and I hope lots of people listen to what you say and change healthcare in Mississippi for the better. Thank you. Thank you.